Amen. If you have a Bible, would you open with me to the Gospel of Luke? We're going to be in Luke 11 today, starting in verse 14. My name is Jody Sledge. I'm one of the pastors here, and it's my joy to be bringing God's Word for us today. I'm excited for this message. We've got an interesting passage, uh, but we trust that God's Word is good for us. And we trust that as we come to Him today that He's going to speak to us. So this is the Word of God, Luke 11, starting in verse 14. Now he was casting out a demon that was mute. And when the demon had gone out, the mute man spoke, and the people marveled. But some of them said, He casts out demons by Beelzebul, the prince of demons. While others, to test him, kept seeking from him a sign from heaven. But he, knowing their thoughts, said to them, Every kingdom divided against itself is laid waste, and a divided household falls. And if Satan also is divided against himself, how will his kingdom stand? For you say that I cast out demons by Beelzebul. And if I cast out demons by Beelzebul, by whom do your sons cast them out? Therefore they will be your judges." But if it's by the finger of God that I cast out demons, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. When a strong man, fully armed, guards his own palace, his goods are safe. But when stronger than he attacks him and overcomes him, he takes away his armor in which he trusted and divides his spoils. Whoever is not with me is against me, and whoever does not gather with me scatters. When the unclean spirit has gone out of a person, it passes through waterless places seeking rest. And finding none, it says, I will return to my house from which I came. And when it comes, it finds the house swept and put in order. Then it goes and brings seven other spirits, more evil than itself, and they enter and dwell there. And the last state of that person is worse than the first. And as he said these things, a woman in the crowd raised her voice and said to him, Blessed is the womb that bore you and the breast at which you nursed. But he said, Blessed, rather, are those who hear the word of God and keep it. And when the crowds were increasing, he began to say, This generation is an evil generation. It seeks for a sign, but no sign will be given to it except the sign of Jonah. For as Jonah became a sign to the people of Nineveh, so will the Son of Man be to this generation. The Queen of South will rise up at the judgment with the men of this generation and condemn them. For she came from the ends of the earth to hear the wisdom of Solomon. And behold, something greater than Solomon is here. The men of Nineveh will rise up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it. For they repented at the preaching of Jonah and behold, something greater than Jonah is here. No one, after lighting a lamp, puts it in a cellar or under a basket, but on a stand, so that those who enter may see the light. Your eye is the lamp of your body. When your eye is healthy, your whole body is full of light. But when it is bad, your body is full of darkness. Therefore, be careful, lest the light in you be darkness." If then your whole body is full of light, having no part in dark, it will be wholly bright as when a lamp with its rays gives you light. Let's pray together. Father, we're thankful for your word today, God. We're thankful for this 
confrontation that these religious folks had with Jesus because it just teaches us so much about what it means to see the kingdom of God. Jesus says the kingdom of God has come upon you. And so as we come to your word today, God, would you speak to us so that we might see the kingdom of God and that we might see it, Lord, in the face of Jesus. God, would you speak to us now? In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So I've been to Niagara Falls, but I've never seen Niagara Falls. So when I was in college, I decided it would be a good idea to take a spring break mission trip to Canada. When everybody else is going to Florida for breach breach, I thought it would be great to go to Montreal, Canada. And so on our way home, we decided to drive a few hours out of the way and go see Niagara Falls. Niagara Falls is that world-famous waterfall that's on the border of New York and Canada. Over 8 million people a year go to see this amazing waterfall. And so we get to the National Park. We walk like the two miles that you have to walk to actually get to the place and see it. And when we get there, all that we could see was fog. I mean, remember, this is like the first week of March. I mean, there's still snow everywhere. The waterfall is almost completely frozen. And all that we can see, I'm not kidding, is like three feet in front of you of just fog. That's all that you could see. And so, needless to say, we were pretty disappointed because we're standing right there at Niagara Falls and we couldn't even see Niagara Falls. So we walked back to our cars and left disappointed. So I've been to Niagara Falls, but I've never actually seen Niagara Falls. True story. I mean, I was there. I could hear it. It was right there in front of me, but I couldn't see the falls. I mean, this is the same problem that many of us have with the kingdom of God. As we come to Luke 11 today, we find a a group of people standing right there in the front of the kingdom of God, and they can't even see it. They see Jesus. They see the power that he has. They see the man standing right in front of them, but they cannot see the kingdom of God. I mean, they want a king. They want to see God's kingdom come, but they cannot see the kingdom there in the face of Jesus. And really, we're no different than them. We we can see Jesus. We can see his power, but we too can fail to see the kingdom that he brings. And so God's word is a gift to us today. These stories from the gospel of Luke are a gracious invitation from God to come and see the kingdom of God and to see his kingdom in the face of Jesus. So my prayer for us today is that that we would do that, that we would see the kingdom of God in the face of Jesus, that we would trust Jesus, that we would obey Jesus and that we would behold Jesus. So notice first in our passage that we see the kingdom when we trust Jesus. We see the kingdom when we trust Jesus. So we're in the third section of Luke and Jesus is on this kind of ministry road tour. He's going town by town on his way to Jerusalem doing ministry. Some people are excited about this. Some people are not excited And really, in this section of Luke, Jesus faces lots of opposition. And that's exactly what's happening in our passage today. 
Look at verse 14. Jesus tells us that, Luke tells us Jesus has just cast the demon out of a man that was mute. He was unable to speak, but once that demon left him, he began speaking. And some people were amazed, but some of them were not. And in verse 15, they speak up and they say, He casts out demons by Beelzebul, the prince of demons. What in the world is that? What is Beelzebul? Well, it's actually the name of a Canaanite god. But the Jews took that name and began to refer to Satan with that name. You see, the people are accusing Jesus of working for the devil and not working for God. But notice Jesus' reply in verse 17. Every kingdom divided will fall. doesn't make much sense for Satan to be working against himself, does it? And Jesus also says, well, think about this, guys. Your, your disciples have been casting out demons, too. So does that mean that they also are casting them out by the power of Satan? Notice what he says in verse 20. He says, but if it's by the finger of God that I cast out demons, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. If Jesus is bringing freedom by the power of God, then that means the kingdom of God has come in Jesus. Hasn't Jesus already told us this in chapter 4 of Luke's gospel? That the Spirit of God was upon him to do what? To bring liberty to captives. To set free those who were oppressed. That's what he's doing here. Setting free this demon-oppressed man. And so proving that he, Jesus, has brought the kingdom of God near. In verse 23, Jesus says, Whoever's not with me is against me. You see, he's talking to the religious leaders and these crowds of people saying, if you are against me, then you're going to be against the very kingdom of God. And notice how Jesus tells two little stories to prove his point. You can see them there in our passage. They both start with the word when. In verse 21, Jesus says, when a strong man who is armed guards his home and all his stuff, he feels safe. But when a stronger man comes and attacks him and overcomes him, he steals all his stuff. This is a story about how Satan might have power in the world, but Jesus is stronger. And Jesus has come to overcome the devil. And that power was just displayed when he freed this demon-possessed man. The power of Satan is no match for Jesus. And Jesus will receive the souls of those he loves and those he frees as his treasure. Notice the second story in verse 24. Jesus says, When an unclean spirit has left a person, it goes out into the desert. Nobody wants to live in the desert. So it thinks, well, I'm going to go back to where I was. And in fact, he comes back and finds the house swept and clean and put in order. So he goes and gets seven of his demon buddies. And they come and they throw a house party and they move in. And Jesus says, making the person worse than before. I think Jesus is telling a parable for the people of Israel. I mean, think about it. Why on earth would people think that Jesus is working by the power of Satan? What has to be going on in their hearts when they see Jesus deliver a demon-possessed man and they say, this Jesus is working for Satan? I think there's a clue in verse 25. Look at what it says there. It says, the demon comes home and finds the house swept and put in order. Jesus says, 
that this demon, when he returns, finds everything nice and neat and put in order. And I think this is an image for Israel's outward self-righteous religion. Mark and Matthew actually tell us that this whole conversation is the religious leaders doing. And really, next week, Luke is going to have a long list of all of the things that the self-righteous religious leaders are failing to do. They're filled with hypocrisy and evil. They can look good, so they look swept and clean. They look put in order. But in reality, they are the ones full of demons. Their self-righteous religion is keeping them from seeing the kingdom of God here in the face of Jesus. I mean, they're so blinded by their outward the rule-keeping that their only conclusion is that Jesus must be working for Satan. And really, it's all because they're not trusting in Jesus. And because they don't trust him, they can't see the kingdom that he's bringing. So how do we see the kingdom then? Well, it's simply by trusting Jesus. And even trusting in Jesus is a gift of the Holy Spirit of God. Listen to what Paul says in his letter, 1 Corinthians 12, 3. He says, Therefore, I want you to understand that no one speaking in the Spirit of God ever says Jesus is accursed. Or Jesus is working for the devil. And no one can say Jesus is Lord except in the Holy Spirit. When these people accuse Jesus of working for the cursed one, they're proving that they don't have the Spirit of God. But when we confess that Jesus is Lord, and we trust that, then we can trust that God has given us His Spirit as a gift to bring even faith in us as a gift. And so we confess Jesus as Lord then by the grace of God. I wonder if you've ever made that good confession. Have you ever truly confessed that Jesus is Lord? Now, of course, Paul doesn't mean you can't say those three words. What he means is you can't say those three words and actually mean it unless the Spirit of God has done a work in your life. And so if you've never done that, then today would be a great day to confess that Jesus is Lord and really mean it. Today would be a great day to confess that He's the true Savior and the true King. To confess that you're a sinner and that He died to save sinners like you. Today would be a great day, if you've never done it, to believe that He died for your sins and that He rose to give you eternal life. If you've never trusted in Christ, today would be a great day to do that. So if you've never done that, would you confess Christ as Lord today? Jesus would be delighted to give you the gift of salvation in his name. And if you have confessed Jesus of Lord, then you must realize that too is a gift given to you by the Spirit. And so we must never forget that our acceptance in the kingdom of God is a gift. We must never be like Israel in this passage and think that we deserve the kingdom of heaven. We must resist the temptation to believe that we're good with God because of the things that we do. Because of our own outward self-righteous religion. Friends, if we could be good with God on our own, then Jesus died for no reason. But that's not true. We can't. We need Jesus. And we, we need Christ 
to come and to make us new again. You see, without Jesus, we would be standing in that crowd as well, saying, this man is working for Satan. But because of the gracious gift of God, we've come to believe. We've come to trust in Christ. We've come to confess Jesus is Lord. And so we must remember that we're here by grace. Friends, our salvation is a gift. Even our faith in Jesus is a gift. So let's never stop believing, never stop trusting Jesus and Jesus alone. Because you see, when we trust Jesus, that's when we can see the kingdom of God. Notice, secondly, we see the kingdom when we obey Jesus. When we obey Jesus. Luke tells us, look at verse 27, that as Jesus finished saying these things, a woman yells out from the crowd. Look at what she says there. Blessed is the womb that bore you and the breasts at which you nurse. That's a weird thing to shout out in a crowd, isn't it? What exactly is she saying here? It seems like this woman is wanting to affirm Jesus in his ministry. I mean, all of these people are standing around saying, this guy's working for Satan. And she's over here thinking, what are you all talking about? And so she wants to speak a, a blessing over Jesus. And what better way to bless someone than to bless their mama, right? And so what she offers here is a word of praise and honor towards the mother of Jesus. It would be much like someone might say, boy, your mama raised you right. Now, it makes sense that this woman would cry out to bless the mother of Jesus. Because Luke has already told us, if you go back to the beginning of the gospel, that women, actually generations of women, will rise up and call Mary blessed. That's exactly what's happening here. She's blessing Mary. Now, we have to be careful here. There is a difference between blessing Mary and worshiping Mary. There's a difference between honoring her and exalting her. You see, she had an amazing role to play in being the mother of Jesus. I mean, what did that have to be like to be the mother of Jesus? We praise God for Mary being a faithful mother to our Savior. But nowhere does the Bible call us to worship Mary. We don't pray to her as our intercessor. Jesus is our high priest and our intercessor. We don't look to her as our mediator. Jesus is the one mediator between God and man. And we don't trust Mary to forgive us of our sins. Jesus forgives our sins and even Mary's sins. See, Mary needed the very same grace of her son, just like we need the grace of Jesus. So was she blessed? Of course she was blessed. Do we worship her? Of course not. I mean, notice what Jesus says in verse 28. He says, blessed rather are those who hear the word of God and keep it. So he's not saying, no, my mom's not blessed. He's saying, yeah, she's blessed, but there's a better blessing. And that blessing is for those who actually hear the word of God and do it. You see, Jesus is challenging our ideas of what it means to be a part of the kingdom of God. The kingdom is not about family lines. It's not about nationality. It's not about ethnic identity. It's not about religious heritage. 
And this would have seemed really crazy for the Jews. I mean, they were God's chosen people. They were a family, a nation, an ethnic people for God's treasured possessing. And so here is Jesus saying, yeah, none of that really matters. What matters is do you hear the word of God and do you obey it? When we see people obeying the word of God, that's when we can see the kingdom of God. And so here's what that means for us then. Obedience to the word of God is really the only evidence that we belong to the kingdom of God. I mean, just imagine, imagine this, okay? If Jesus were to show up this afternoon and you were to stand before him in judgment, think about how the conversations might go like this. Hey, Jesus, you remember my granny? I'm sure you know my granny. Man, that woman loved you. That woman was always in church. She always obeyed you. Now, you remember she's my granny, right? So we're good, right? What if you said, hey, hey, Jesus, listen, I grew up in the Bible Belt. I mean, I went to every VBS, every church camp. I knew all the motions to all the songs. I mean, I know I haven't really obeyed you, but all of that's got to count for something, right? Or what if you said this, Jesus, listen, hey, I'm an American. I'm politically conservative. I care about family values. I work hard to provide for my family. I mean, surely that's got to be enough, right? Friends, Jesus' word couldn't be any clearer here, could it? Blessed are those who hear the word of God and keep it. Blessed are those who hear the words of Jesus and obey Jesus. Kids, it does not matter if your parents are Christians. It doesn't matter if you know a whole lot about the Bible. It doesn't matter if you've gone to church your whole life. It doesn't matter how you voted. It doesn't matter what color your skin is. It doesn't matter what language you speak. What matters is do you obey the word of Jesus? And so, brothers and sisters, we, we have to be careful here not to mix our faith with our national identity. I mean, can we celebrate all the good in America? Absolutely. I'm sure a lot of us are going to be celebrating a lot tomorrow, right? Can we be thankful for the good in our nation? Absolutely. Thankful for the people who have served in our nation and served in our military. We, we can be so thankful and so blessed by the freedoms that we have. But remember, God's ultimate plan is not to save America. His plan is to save a people from every nation, tribe, and tongue through the blood of Jesus. Jesus did not die to make America great. He died to bring us into the blessings of obedience. And friends, we have to see then that obedience is a great blessing. Obedience to the word of God is a great blessing. I know that seems odd at times, Obeying seems so restrictive, and, and really the air that we breathe in our culture is all about ourselves. I mean, we're told things like this, you do you, and whatever makes you happy, do it. Don't let anybody tell you who to be. That's what we hear, but the key to true blessing and true happiness is found in obeying Jesus. Now, some Christians struggle with this. They might even have a view to say Jesus' call to obedience is impossible. 
they would look at something like the Sermon on the Mount and say, yeah, nobody can do that. And so good thing Jesus is going to die on the cross later to forgive us for all the ways that we can't do that. But can you imagine this? Can you imagine Jesus giving that amazing Sermon on the Mount and, and right after you pull him aside and say, Jesus, do you really expect us to do all of that? Do you think he would say, no, no, it's okay. Listen, I'm actually going to die on the cross and I'm going to forgive you for all the ways that you don't do that. So you don't have to do any of that. I'm pretty sure, again, verse 28 is clear. Jesus expects his people to obey him. But remember, his obedience is how we obey. He's not saying, look, y'all better work hard on your own and hopefully you can obey enough and it'll be enough in the end. No, he died on the cross, yes, to forgive us for all of the ways that we fail to obey him. But he also died so that we might actually walk in a new life and actually walk in obedience to Jesus. Now listen, we are all still a work in progress. I'm still a work in progress. But obedience to Jesus is the goal. Obedience is not the root of our salvation, but it is the fruit of our salvation. If Jesus has saved you, there will be obedience in your life. And that's why we should strive to grow in our obedience more and more. So take a minute and think about your life. How are you obeying the words of Jesus? If you need a refresher, go read the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5, 6, and 7. That's a good place to start. And remember, we don't obey to earn God's love and acceptance, but we obey because in Jesus it's already ours. Friends, when we obey the words of Jesus, that's when we see the kingdom of God. And notice lastly, number three, we see the kingdom when we behold Jesus. So Luke moves on in verse 29. As Jesus begins to talk about signs, remember back in verse 16, some of the crowds were demanding a sign from Jesus to prove that he really was from heaven, which is pretty ridiculous given the fact that he just healed a demon-possessed man, just cast this demon out. Hey, G Jesus, do a sign for us. I mean, what other sign do they need? I mean, Jesus has been healing people and casting out demons. I mean, Jesus fed over 5,000 people with a Captain D's combo meal. He's even raised a widow's son back to life. I mean, what else can Jesus do to prove that he's come from heaven? This is why he calls them an evil generation. He says, you've never believed the signs and you never will believe the signs. And so Jesus mentions two stories of unlikely people who believed in God. First, he mentions the people of Nineveh. Those were those wicked and violent people that God sent the prophet Jonah to. But Jesus says they will in the last day rise up and judge the Jews of Jesus' day for their unbelief. Because those wicked and violent people repented at the preaching of Jonah. All they needed was a five-word sermon from a runaway prophet and they believed in the Lord. Second, Jesus mentions the queen of the south or the queen of Sheba. She too will rise up in the judgment and judge the Jews in Jesus' day for their unbelief. Because this pagan Ethiopian king came to hear the wisdom of Solomon. 
All she needed was news of great news, of great wisdom in Israel, and she believed in the Lord. And notice, with both of those examples, Jesus says something. He says, behold, something greater than Solomon is here. Behold, something greater than Jonah is here. In their unbelief, the Jews are failing to see the greatness of Jesus. They're failing to behold the glory of God in the face of Jesus. He is the Son of Man, and He's come to bring light and life to the dark world. Notice in verse 33 that Jesus begins talking about light. He says no one lights a lamp and then puts it in the basement or under a basket. No, you let that little light of yours shine so everyone can see, right? And he says while we're talking about lamps, our eyes are like the lamps of our bodies. And and when the light comes in, we're good and, and we're full of light. But when we don't let the light in, we're full of darkness. In verse 35, he says, be careful and make sure that there is light in you and not darkness. And he says, and when there's light in you, you'll be fully whole and shine bright. Now, what's Jesus's point? Why is he talking about all of this? Well, he's saying, I'm the light. And when we behold Jesus, we are full of his light. When we are full of his light, we shine bright as the children of the kingdom. You see, the crowds cannot see the kingdom because they are not beholding Jesus. They're standing in front of him. They're looking at him, but they're not beholding him. Their eyes cannot see the light because there is darkness in them. But the kingdom of God belongs to those who can see the light of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. The kingdom belongs to those who behold him. And so it's our great calling and privilege as the people of the kingdom to behold Jesus. To do what John the Baptist cried out and behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. To do even what Pilate declared when he said, behold your king there on the cross. To do what the heavenly elder told John in his vision and revelation, behold the lion of the tribe of Judah. To do what Paul tells us in 2 Corinthians, to be transformed by beholding the glory of Jesus. It's our greatest joy as Christians to spend our lives looking at Jesus. We get to look at Jesus, the Son of God. We get to look at Jesus, the radiance of the glory of God. We get to look at Jesus, the exact imprint of the nature of God. We get to look at Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. We get to look at Jesus, the founder of our salvation. We get to look at Jesus, the great shepherd of our souls. We get to look at Jesus, the true vine. We get to look at Jesus, the bread of life. We get to look at Jesus, the fountain of living water. We get to look at Jesus, the way, the truth, and the life. We get to look at Jesus, the resurrection and the life. We get to look at Jesus, the light of the world. We get to spend our lives beholding the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. And since that's our greatest calling 
and privilege, I think that's our greatest temptation to. I've said this many times before. I believe our greatest temptation is to look somewhere other than Jesus. I don't think many of us this morning got out of bed and felt tempted to start going and robbing banks. Maybe. Let's talk afterwards if if you're struggling with that. I don't think we're tempted to just go out in the woods and start sacrificing goats to pagan gods. I don't think that's a temptation for us. I don't think we're even tempted to just give up on Jesus. I don't think any of us woke up and just said, I need to quit Jesus today. Man, I just got to quit him. I believe with everything that I am that our greatest temptation is to slowly believe the lie that there is something better than Jesus to behold. Our greatest temptation is to stop looking at Jesus. Maybe Jesus is good, but man, money looks better. Maybe Jesus is good, but man, that relationship sure looks better. Maybe Jesus is good, but that career looks better. Those pills, they look better. Politics sure look a lot better than Jesus. Maybe Jesus is good, but man, that alcohol looks better, or that pleasure looks better, or even man, self-righteous religion sure does look a lot better than Jesus. Friends, we have to guard our hearts here. We have to be careful not to be standing before Jesus and make him give us a sign to prove that he's better than all of these things. What more could Jesus do to prove that he's worth beholding? He lived and he died and he rose again to give us the light of God's eternal love. He's proven that he's better than anything and everything this world has to offer. And that he's worth beholding. We have to be careful lest the light in us is darkness. We have to fill our eyes and our lives with the light of Jesus so that our whole lives might be bright. Brothers and sisters, we have to behold Jesus. So behold him in his word. Find some time during the day to put your phone down and open the Word of God. To get your Bible open and say, Lord, show me Jesus. Read the words on these pages and say, Lord, show me the glory of my Savior. Behold Jesus in His Word. Behold Him in prayer as well. Make Paul's prayer in Ephesians 1 your prayer. Open the eyes of my heart, Lord, so that I might see the glory of God in the face of Jesus. I mean, if you're struggling to be captivated by the glory of Jesus, why not pray for that? Why not ask the Lord to show you more and more of Jesus? And behold Jesus in the church. Make it a priority to gather week by week with the people of Jesus. I mean, when you walk into this room every Sunday, say this, Lord, show me more of Jesus. Open your mouth and sing these songs. I know not everybody's a great singer, but really singing is what gets what's in our head down into our hearts and into our lives. So let's sing to behold Jesus. Look at the relationships in this room and in this church and look for ways that we can 
be like Jesus and behold Jesus in the ways that we serve and love one another. Friends, if we want to make sure that there is light in us and not darkness, then we must behold Jesus. For when we behold Jesus, that's when we see the kingdom of God. And really, that's what this is all about. See, the kingdom of God is not about politics. It's not about national identity. It's not about self-righteous religion. The kingdom of God is not about culture wars. It's not about social media trends and arguments. It's not about saving our nation or any nation on the planet. The kingdom of God is not about success. It's not about wealth and the American dream. It's not even about your own personal happiness. The kingdom of God is not about you and it's not about me. The kingdom of God is all about Jesus. And so if we want to see the kingdom of God come in our lives, if we want to see the kingdom in our families and in our church and in our city and even to the ends of the earth, then we must look to Jesus. We must trust in his perfect, complete work on the cross. We must seek to obey his life-giving words. And we must behold him. So brothers and sisters, let's trust Jesus. Let's obey Jesus. And let's never stop beholding Jesus. And may it be said of every single one of us here today that we've been to the kingdom of God and we've seen the kingdom of God in the face of Jesus. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you so much for your word. God, even a passage like this that seems difficult and has many things in it, God, we're just thankful that it's all about Jesus. It's all about trusting Him. Putting our faith in Him so that we might be saved, Lord. Putting our faith and hope in Him. And renouncing any kind of self-righteous religion, Lord. God, we thank You for Christ that He lived and died and rose again for us. So that we might have a hope. So we might have forgiveness. So we might be cleansed. And so we might walk in the newness of life in his kingdom. So God, I pray for those here today who don't know Jesus, that they would come to faith in Christ. That they would receive that free gift of salvation today. That they would stop trying to earn your love and your acceptance and your favor. Stop trying to deserve their way into the kingdom. But they would confess their sins and humbly receive the free gift of salvation in Jesus. God, would you draw them to yourself today? And for those of us in Christ, would you help us to trust him more and more? Would you help us to obey him more and more? And to not look to anything around us, our backgrounds, our histories, our families, who we're connected to, who we know. Let none of that be the determination as to whether or not we're in your kingdom. But ask ourselves, do we truly obey Jesus? Do we have a desire to obey him? God, help us to be blessed by hearing your words and keeping them. 
And Lord, would we be the kind of people who never stop beholding Jesus? God, there are so many things that tempt us and settle in like a fog that keep us from seeing the glory of Jesus. And so may we push through those things. May we set aside every distraction. And may we behold your glory in the face of your son, Jesus. God, we're so tempted to just one day think, yeah, Jesus is good, but something else has got to be better. May we never believe that lie. May we continue to behold Christ in all of his glory. We pray all of these things in Jesus' name. Amen.